Hello, and welcome to Writing the Coast. I'm your host, Megan Cole, and Writing the Coast is the official podcast of the BC and Yukon Book Prizes. This is your destination for conversations with the winners and finalists of the annual prizes, as well as discussions with book lovers from across the country. I'm excited to introduce today's guest to you, but instead of me reading his bio, I'll let him introduce himself. Uh, I'm Rob Bittner. Uh, I'm the current president of the BC and Yukon Book Prizes Society, and I work a lot with uh, children's and young adult literature, and that's my real passion in life. So I do a lot of reading and working on award committees and working with libraries and teachers, and that's about it. I'm, I'm in the process of writing a middle grade thriller uh, about two boys who uh, meet up on a summer vacation and get trapped on a very scary amusement park ride during a storm and have to survive together. So I'm in my third draft of that one. So who knows? Apparently that's a good sign. Rob and I talked about book trailers, how we get diverse titles into readers' hands, and much more. Here's my conversation with Rob Bittner. If you could be the character in any book, and it began as book, but now it's become poem, documentary, movie, short story. So if you could be a character, basically, in anything, who would you be and why? I mean, it's not a surprise, but I still, I'm, I still don't know how to answer that one very well. My goodness, um, I would have to say Neo in the Matrix. Why Neo in the Matrix? I don't know. It just seems like such a strange, but ultimately very intriguing position to be in. And once he does sort of start to understand the world around him. Um, he's able to actually initiate a lot of change, even though it's really difficult. And I feel like I would like to be able to initiate more change in the world, even though it's difficult. So have you seen the trailer for the new matrix? I have. And, uh, it was amazing. And I cried because apparently I cry at trailers, but not at actual movies. That says something about the editing for trailers. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Some trailers are just phenomenal. Or may- and maybe they take all the good parts and just cram them into a trailer. I fear that sometimes. I do worry, but when it comes to the Matrix with the Wachowskis, I'm 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 always I'm sure there's going to be more than what's in the trailer. Yeah, yeah. What do you think about book trailers? Speaking of trailers, I think there's some really well done ones, and I know that there's some publishers that are really good with them. Scholastic has done a very good job with a number over the years, but I haven't seen too many as of late. I like when they're done well. And I think with a lot of book events that I've worked on, it's a really cool thing to have students do their own book trailers. And it really shows how they understand the book and also how they connect to the book and gives them something kind of to to play with. And you get some really interesting results that way too. Yeah. I love the kind of book trailers they do for the Writers' Trust Awards too. They've done some beautiful ones. Uh, mm-hmm. every year for those I don't know if they're book trailers if they're just like how the Grammys put together the the reel before the movie nomination is announced I don't I don't know if there's really like a set 
style for book trailers or way of doing book trailers. I've seen some that are just like, here's a bunch of cool quotes and some great music and others where they actually hire people to act and play out scenes. And then there's others, you know, that, that it's just animated. And I mean, one of the spookiest ones was, uh, uh, oh, it was for a Holly Black series and uh, they did some really amazing uh, book trailers for those. So you mentioned your uh, the president, the current president of uh, the BC and Yukon Book Prizes Society. Can you talk about what the society does and why you wanted to become involved with it? Well, I originally wanted to become involved because, well, I like to you know get involved with anything to do with books. And uh, back in 2011, I served on the Sheila Egoff committee uh, or jury for the book prizes. And was really interested in sort of the things that they do beyond just children's literature. So I, you know, thought that maybe it would be worth getting involved. And uh, Kathy Shoemaker brought me on board a couple of years back. And seeing all of the the initiatives that the the society does beyond just the prizes, like you know, um, fundraising things like our, the Adopt a Library program, doing book tours, getting authors into remote locations things like that, you know, it was just really something that I I thought I could hopefully uh, be a good fit with and bring about some, I don't know, new ideas and help keep things fresh. So when Kathy asked me if I would be interested in taking over as president when she uh, stepped back, uh, I thought, you know, this is a great opportunity and it's such a good organization and the board and the staff are really amazing. So I like to have the opportunity to to get involved as much as possible. Yeah. What's been most exciting and maybe most surprising for you about um, what you've learned about the books being written and published in BC and Yukon? Yeah, see, that's a, that's a, that's another reason that I actually wanted to be a part of the book prizes uh, just because so much of the publishing that I have been exposed to has been U S centric and not so much Canadian. So seeing the literature that comes out of BC is really neat because it's it's very much seemingly connected to the land, the region, um, in ways that, you know, other literature tends to be a bit more generic, where it's like, it's small town America or big city America, whereas here it's like, no, I I am in Victoria, or I am in Prince George, or I am in this specific region within Yukon or, or BC. And I think there's a lot more connection to those specific communities. That's really neat. And uh, I, I like being able to read about those those very unique expressions of how people connect to their, their communities and, and the land that they live on. Yeah. So it's pretty clear that your love of books expands beyond the book prizes. Uh, where does this passion for books and reading and writing come from for you? You know, it's, I'm I'm not exactly sure, like, to, I can't pinpoint the exact moment. I never used to be a reader. I used to be like Archie Comics and that's it. Like nothing more. When I started to do my bachelor's degree I started getting exposed to a lot more I got a BA in English and so I started getting exposed to literature from all around the world um, that was beyond just comic books and then I started to do like a project in my fourth year that was based on specifically young adult literature and because I had grown up 
queer, but in a conservative Christian sort of community and household, I was looking for books that might reflect that experience. And the more of those that I started to find over time, the more I connected to them. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. This is, this is stuff that I wish I had when I was a bit younger. And I just kept diving into that. And then that led to getting a master's in children's literature and getting involved in library associations and book awards. And now I'm, I'm just such a huge fan of different formats and styles and, um, you know, audiobooks and graphic novels and novels and verse. And it's just really cool to see how much is out there. Although it is kind of funny every once in a while, because I cannot remember the last time I actually read a book for adults. <laughs> you know, I don't know that that's a bad thing sometimes, because I think there's there's a weird, and maybe you can talk a bit about this, but when I worked at the library, there was something like, I feel like there's adults who read YA and teen books almost feel embarrassed about it. And I don't think that they should. Like, I think, like, you read what you read, and that's all that really matters. I mean, I don't know where this, like, and there's such fabulous YA and teen books. Like, I, I mean, the one that always comes to mind is The Marrow Thieves, because that was the one that really opened my eyes to, like, what's happening in teen and YA books. But again, I've branched out since then. But um, I wonder what you think of that and where, where, why there's, like, a shame about adults who read YA and teen books. Well, I think there's just been a whole history of being, like, literature when you get involved in literature, it's it's like the classics or it's, you know, literary fiction and this idea that reading prestigious works is is somehow better. And, and then that sort of started to work backwards. So when YA started to become a thing, like on a larger scale, and adults started reading it, they started reading it more because they were like, this is something I wish I had when I was younger. This is something that I connect to because I went through this as a teenager or whatever. And now, you know, they, they want to read those, but then you've got sort of the, the more prestigious side that seems to value literary fiction at a different level. And so sometimes people feel like if they're reading YA, they don't think it's, it's, as valuable. And this is an argument that comes up a lot in academia that I've been dealing with for years and that anybody working with children's literature has been dealing with for, for a while. But I think we're getting to a point that children's and YA does get a bit more respect, even while it's still a bit of an uphill battle. Um, so I'm glad to see a lot more adults reading YA. But at the same time, I think we also have to remember that YA is for teens. So we shouldn't necessarily be changing all of it to fit adult respectabilities or what have you but yeah anyway I think adults who read it just should read it and it's great yeah it's interesting all those different like kind of I, I think of the like graphic novel thing with with YA and kids books too where there's been such that's such a, a contentious area in kid lit and in YA books because parents still think of graphic novels as comic books and therefore it's not like real books or something. And I, again, working at the library, it was one of those things like I was often encouraging graphic novels for kids who weren't super excited about reading or maybe had some um, challenges with their literacy. And there was always that kind of slight pushback from parents about, oh, well, they should read a real book. Like there was that idea that a graphic novel isn't a real book. And, yeah. and it's so strange. 
Well, and that's that's common along a lot of different lines. Like there's there's about graphic novels. There's people who push back against audiobooks because it's not reading, or people who push back on novels and verse because, well, it's it's not really a book. It's just poems, or you know, whatever. And I I just I I all I want to like ever tell these people is like you know, reading is more than just looking at words on a page. Read it. You read images as well you you look through and you read and interpret facial expressions and background images and you know you're putting together all of these different understandings of of a situation or a setting or a conversation just using different cues or visual cues and with audiobooks you know you're reading as well your imagination your brain is still working in in quite the same way but i think we've gotten that because people are like you know thinking of text on a page as well, if you read just the text, you're using your imagination to build it all up. Whereas they see graphic novels or comics as like cheating because it's like, well, someone else drew the images for you. So you're not using your brain enough or something. Yeah, it's weird that there's an enough part of like you need to use your brain a certain amount for it yeah. to be called reading or something. <laughs> exactly. Um. I was going to say around all these kind of um, boxes that we put around reading and how we define reading, especially for young readers. I think there's so much built up around how kids and teens read and what they read and why they read um, that it seems like we've, we've lost at some point we lose the joy of reading and then it has, we have to build it back again. And I wondered what you thought of that and, and how we can teach reading without making it a chore and keep that joy of, of reading and books alive in, in kids. It's it's funny you bring that up actually because I just finished about sixteen hours of webinar Zoom webinars over two <laughs> days uh, with English teachers from throughout North America and is all just it was over a hundred authors all talking about their work and teachers talking about how do we use these in classrooms to to teach a joy of reading like you say how do we how do we find ways to remove that that sort of old school notion of like all the class has to read a single book and it doesn't matter if you enjoy it or not. You just have to push through and, you know, you'll learn something from it. I mean, maybe you will learn something from it, but you're also learning that reading is a chore. And the more you feel that reading is a chore, the less likely you are to see it as something that's enjoyable or a pastime that you might go to on your own accord. And I mean, kids you know, don't want to do things that aren't fun. <laughs> you know, I don't want to do things that aren't fun. Um, so, you know, we, we have to be able to find ways of using books in a way that will engage students' imaginations. And I know that gets tricky in education because you want to have certain learning outcomes that are like across the classroom. So I feel like there's ways to 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 work with that, though, by giving certain selections of texts that you can all work through and using projects that allow students to, um, you know, give their own interpretations of the work and share it with other students to make the other students excited about that book and maybe get them wanting to read it too. And so there are ways to, you know, play with, with the format, but we've, we've learned so much from like the, the canon or the required reading uh, situation over the, you know, a long period of time that, everybody should read certain books and then if you don't like them too bad yeah yeah and I mean I know a lot of your research is focused on representation of trans and uh, queer writers and queer 
uh, characters and storylines. And I wondered how you how you see that with what we're what's happening in classrooms because uh, I know that's that's always kind of I've had conversations with authors on this podcast like how do we get our books into teachers hands into students hands and and I wonder if you see that changing slowly or if it's still something we're battling against is to get uh, you know queer and trans titles in there as well as BIPOC titles um, and I'd, I'd love to hear your research and work on that. Well, I mean, it's it's always a tension uh, when you're talking about anything to do with with non-normative literature in the classroom, when you're looking at something that's going to break what used to be sort of standard or normal. So I do know a lot of teachers who are working with and trying to include more books by LGBTQ plus, you know, authors and illustrators and people from, you know, all sorts of different backgrounds and I think that's great, but there's always that tension when they're trying to work within communities, perhaps that don't have as open-minded uh, on what, like, you know, all around where there, there's, there's the potential for pushback from either from parents or from politicians or uh, other people in the school. And so um, there's always a challenge of how exactly do we get those books into the classroom? So, you know, I'm often talking about like, you know, how do you, well, maybe you can give out a recommended reading list on, you know, on the down low for students to give them at least the knowledge of books that exist if you can't use them directly in the classroom. Or, um, you know, are there ways that, you know, you can you can create like bookmarks or things like that, that, that give them ideas. Um, and if you can use them in the classroom, all the better. Uh, sometimes there's ways you can use books that have a whole bunch of different uh, you know, things about identity, and then you can, you know, that might also include LGBTQ plus characters and things like that. Um, I know a lot of teachers uh, recently have been getting very excited about Wab Kanu's new book, um, Walking in Two Worlds, you know, and being able to use it not just to talk about um, you know, because there, there's there's a lot of stuff about, you know, feminism and about gender and sexuality and things in there, but it's also about gaming. So they can try to use it as like, you know, connecting it using discussions about like digital realms and online spaces and how do we look at the future in virtual spaces, you know, and how youth are growing up. And sometimes you can use those as, as uh, you know, inroads to to start talking about some of those other issues. Yeah. How does the book prizes fit with the future, I guess, of reading in the province and how we embrace books both in the classroom, but in our own homes and our communities? Well, I mean, I think any book that has won an award tends to get a little bit more of a a bump already in terms of um, the likelihood of teachers hearing about it or parents or, you know, even young people sometimes who follow um, so that already starts to help. And we we do have a decent history of, you know, titles with LGBTQ plus uh, representation, um, whether it's in picture books or, or YA books or adult uh, books or nonfiction. So I think in that way, that's already helping to sort of expand, you know, the potential. But also, you know, that representation of those authors when we do author tours and trying to get them into communities that might not normally have access to, um, you know, author visits, at least in an in-person kind of context or, um, you know, those sorts of ways 
of, of helping to, to get the exposure. So I think the prizes have that going for it. And just, you know, through the adopt a library program and those sorts of things where you have the ability to get literature into the hands of, uh, of students through, through the libraries, especially um, it's, you know, all about trying to, to get as much out there so that hopefully they'll find it and see it on the shelf or see it in the classroom or, you know, hear about it in a news story, you know, about an author coming to town. And I, I think those are all ways to help promote and expose people to, to more and varied literature. Yeah. Is there anything you're super excited for in the coming year as far as BC and Yukon books and publishing? Oh, goodness. I mean, there's always so much going on uh, in the BC publishing world these days. I mean, I'm always excited to see what's coming out from from the different publishers. Um, I, I, I'm luckily I get a few promotional sort of materials uh, from a number. So I get to see a few that come out in advance. Um, but one thing that I just I'm excited about in general for the BC and Yukon Book Prizes is just waiting to see what the shortlists are going to be for the next year and finding out, you know, about books that I haven't heard of before. And I, I look to those shortlists as a way of expanding what I know and, you know, who I've read and um, every year that helps me to, to sort of move beyond my comfort zone and just what I would normally pick up or what I have on my shelf already. Um, it gives me something to look at and, uh, and, and go to the library and pick out or, or get from, you know, my local bookstore and, and, and just improve or expand uh, what I would normally be reading. So that's what excites me uh, and what I'm looking forward to in the coming year. Thanks to Rob Bittner for being on the podcast. Rob is the president of the BC and Yukon Book Prizes Society. If you want to find out more about the BC and Yukon Book Prizes, visit our website, bcyukonbookprizes.com. You can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, where we share news about the winners and finalists, as well as information about upcoming events. Next week on Writing the Coast, you'll hear my conversation with Carrie Clare. Carrie is a writer and the editor of the website 49th Shelf. Thanks for listening to Writing the Coast.